In Proverbs 28 and verse 26, wisdom tells us, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. What's an example of this? Well, I think that there's a problem, especially among younger Christians, of conflating emotion with edification. Now, edification may produce emotion, but emotion is not edification. Edification means being built up. And the Bible makes very clear the way we're built up, edified spiritually as a Christian is through the Word of God. Hello and welcome to another episode of What the Bible Says. We are a group of people who are trying to find answers to modern day questions about how we should live our lives. And we find those answers by only using the Bible. This podcast is not supported by any congregation or denomination in any way. However, if you do enjoy the podcast, we do ask one thing from you. Please send this episode to someone you think would enjoy it. Or perhaps take a screenshot of your phone right now and post a picture of this episode to put on your social media. And lastly, please get on our website and send us a question that you have about an episode or a topic that you want us to cover. The goal of this podcast is to answer questions from listeners like you. Now let's search together what the Bible says. Perhaps the most admirable ambition that we can have as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Christ, is that we want to become a better Christian. How do we become a better Christian? My name is Jeremiah Cox, and I'll be studying with you through this next series on how to be a better Christian, this being the first episode of nine Lord willing, on this very important subject. Well, before we get into this first episode, let me just suggest to you that the first step into becoming a better Christian is to have this ambition. If you do not have the desire to be a better Christian, you are complacent, you feel like you're fine where you are. That's an incredible problem. You're already showing that you're not a good enough Christian. You're not doing what Christ would have you to do. God wants us to be constantly growing. There is never a time when we've grown enough. We are constantly growing from our beginning as Christians when we are born again of water and the Spirit and baptism to the very end of our lives. We want to become a better Christian. Now, the requested topic for this study specifically indicates how to become a better Christian at work and school. So let me just suggest to you that to become a better Christian at work and at school will require some very fundamental and general topics on how to be a better Christian, period. And so we're going to attempt through this series of studies to specify some things that we might particularly deal with at work and school and how to let our light shine, how to let Christ be seen in us. But we must 
address some fundamental topics on growing as a Christian, period, in order to be seen as we're to be seen, according to the Word of Christ, in work and in school. So how are we to be a, a better Christian? Well, what I want to first consider in this first episode of nine in this series is if we're going to want to be a better Christian and we're going to achieve that goal as we grow in Christ, we obviously fully depend upon Christ. I think that one of the greatest passages as we can study to become a better Christian is found in John chapter 15. Now, to preface this particular passage of John 15 and verses 1 through 8, which we'll read here in a moment, the context is Jesus' end of his public ministry when he is discussing in the upper room some final things to his apostles that were chosen, specifically those 12 and Judas leaving, there being 11 apostles left, discussing some final things that they would need to know to carry out their ministry as the ambassadors of Christ. And so in chapter 13 of John, Jesus, after eating the Passover with them, John not recording the establishment or rather the um, institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus washes the disciples' feet, teaches them to serve one another and love one another in the greatest capacity in following Christ's example He goes on to tell them that he's leaving them. He tells them in John chapter 13 and in verse 33, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. And so he's leaving them, but they're going to have to carry on his work. And so one of the ways they would be able to do this is through Jesus being with them Ultimately, through the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit, he'd explain in John chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. And in verse 16, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So they're going to be involved in greater works than even Jesus, he said in chapter 14 and verse 12. The greater works than even the miracles Jesus performed is the actual service in the realized kingdom of God and bringing lost souls into the messianic kingdom as it is in reality and fulfillment. They will be involved in the most special work ever under heaven as is appointed by God. How in the world would they be successful in bearing fruit to God in his kingdom? How how could they be responsible ambassadors of Christ, effective ambassadors of Christ? Well, they couldn't do it without Christ, but Christ says, I'm leaving you, but not fully. He will come to them. He will not orphan them, but he will come to them through the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit. Now, This study is not tailored for a discussion on the Holy Spirit and His work, so suffice it to say, the Spirit works through the revelation of truth, and that's really how we would do it with the apostles as well. The the thing is, they would be specifically inspired by the Holy Spirit. But notice there in verse 17 of John 14, he mentions 
him as the spirit of truth. Now, keep that in mind as we go into chapter 15 and realize while he's talking to the chosen apostles and these things specifically apply to them, they don't all apply to us in the same way, that they as apostles are disciples of Christ. And a lot of these things can be applied to us as well and follow the same pattern. So how do we become a better Christian? Well, consider the words of Jesus in John 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Pause there. We want to be a better Christian. How do we do that? Well, first understand that being a Christian is, as it sounds, an activity. We're doing something. We are showing that we are followers of Christ. Being a Christian is expressed and fulfilled and continued in as we bear fruit. We must bear fruit. You notice there in chapter 15 of John in verse 2, he says that those who do not bear fruit, God takes away. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. It is our purpose as Christians to bear fruit. Verse 8 says this, By this, that is bearing fruit, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So when we ask the question, how do we be a better Christian? What's involved in that is how do we bear more fruit to God's glory? And without abiding in the vine, you cannot bear fruit. And if you do not bear fruit, you will be taken away. But I want us to notice there, in verse 2, he says that every branch that bears fruit, God prunes that it may bear more fruit. And then he directly addresses the state of his apostles in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The word prunes of verse 2 is the Greek word kathero. Strong defines it as to cleanse, that is specially to prune. Now the word clean in verse 3 is the root of kathero, prunes, of verse 2. And that word is katharos, and it means clean literally or figuratively. And so I want us to notice in verse 3, they are already clean. That's the root of prunes in verse 2. And the reason they're already clean is because of the word which Christ had spoken to them. And so the pruning of verse 2 that is necessary to bear more fruit is going to be accomplished in the same way of their being clean of verse 3, which is by the word of Christ. They are clean because of the word spoken by Jesus. They will be pruned because of the word spoken by Jesus, specifically with the apostles as the spirit of truth comes to them and Christ is with them through the spirit being with them. And so that's what I want us to take from this. We are going to become a better Christian as we grow to bear more fruit, as we allow God to prune us to bear more fruit to His glory through Christ. Now, that can only happen through 
the word of Christ. In verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So, we want to bear more fruit. That's how we become a better Christian. To bear fruit, we must abide in Christ. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, notice in verse 7, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. To abide in Christ is for us to abide in his word. For him to abide in us is for his word to abide in us. They're synonymous concepts. To abide in Christ is for him to abide in us. That's what this context continually revisits because that's the intimacy of our relationship with Christ. He is abiding in us and us abiding in him. So to abide in him is for him to abide in us. For him to abide in us is for us to abide in him. So you can't bear fruit without us abiding in Christ. And to abide in Christ, we must let his words abide in us. Pair all of those together. We want to be better Christians. To be a better Christian is to bear fruit to God. But you cannot bear fruit to God without abiding in Christ. And you cannot abide in Christ without Christ's words abiding in you. Now let all that set with you as we read verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. I think that's a pretty obvious thought. It almost goes without saying. How do I be become a better Christian? Well, you cannot do that without Christ. Without Christ, you cannot do anything in bearing fruit to God's glory. You cannot be a better Christian without Christ. You cannot bear fruit without Christ. What does he mean, though, without me, you can do nothing? You know, what that doesn't mean is that you can't have a successful life without Christ. You think about all the many worldly people, people that are celebrities or professional athletes, people that are ungodly, immoral, all of those types of things. They have success without Christ. They have success without being devoted to the will of God. You can be successful in business. You can be successful in school. You can even have a pretty healthy relationship or a happy, seemingly happy relationship, maybe with your wife or or with your friends or with your children, whatever it may be. You can have a seemingly happy relationship, at least according to the world standards, and not be devoted to Christ. You can certainly pursue riches and gain riches without Christ. In fact, Jesus indicates that the pursuit of riches, the desire to become rich, will actually make being a devoted disciple a lot more difficult. And so this doesn't mean that you can't have any success in life. And it doesn't mean that you're inherently totally depraved. You know, there are some who would want you to believe in the religious world that You can't do anything without Christ because you are inherently totally depraved. In the Philadelphia Confession of Faith, this Calvinistic principle is addressed. It says on page 24, From this original corruption, that is, the sin of Adam, whereby all are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil, do proceed all actual transgressions. In other words... 
You have inherited the sin and the corruption of Adam. And because of this, you are completely inclined to evil and totally opposite of good. You you can't do good even if you wanted to. In fact, if we are consistent with that thought, you can't even desire to do good. So the very fact that you desire to be a better Christian, and that's perhaps why you're listening to this podcast, shows that you are not inherently totally depraved. So when Jesus says, without me, you can do do nothing, he doesn't mean that you are corrupted naturally, that you have inherited some corruption from Adam. He doesn't mean that, that without him, you can't find any kind of success at all on this earth. He's saying, if you want to be a better Christian, if you want to bear fruit, you can't do it without me. In John 8 and verse 31, he says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You can't be a better disciple of Jesus without Jesus. Now, you may be thinking, Jeremiah, that's so obvious. Why are you even giving time to this? If we're wanting to be a better Christian, it's obviously we got to have Christ. But you know, I don't think it's as obvious as we may think it is from time to time. You know, a lot of times we know things intellectually, but we don't always do the best job of applying them practically. I think that, sadly, there are too many Christians out there who have the noble ambition to become better Christians, yet they pursue being a better Christian without Christ. Let me suggest to you a few ways that we may foolishly try to be a better Christian apart from Christ. When Christ says, without me, you can do nothing, we still try to bear fruit to God without Christ from time to time. Let me suggest to you, firstly, sometimes people try to become a better Christian without Christ through self-righteousness. Now, I don't think that we ever are guilty of self-righteousness through the intent to be self-righteous. Self-righteousness never comes through the acknowledgement that we are self-righteous. Usually the self-righteous are blind to their own self-righteousness, obviously. But too many times people try to pursue being a better Christian through self-righteousness. And I think that a lot of times that's because they don't realize what self-righteousness is. Well, the central passage of self-righteousness is in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus said, or it says in verse 9, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. That's self-righteousness. We remember the parable that two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And we remember the tax collector showed humility, asked God to be merciful to him, a sinner. And Jesus says that this tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the other one. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I want us to notice what made this Pharisee self-righteous. Firstly, it's pride. 
He said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. He compared himself to another man. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul noted that that's foolish to compare yourself to other men. That's not our standard. Christ is our standard. God is our standard. His word is our standard. Self-righteousness comes through this arrogance, this elevation of self as we compare ourselves with others. If we compare ourselves to a fallible man, then we will likely elevate ourselves. But if we compare ourselves to an infallible standard or a perfect man like Jesus, chances are we're not going to be so exalted. But I want us to especially notice the second reason why this man was self-righteous. He was guilty of boasting in what I might call additional righteousness. He said, I fast twice a week. Well, in the old law, fasting was only commanded annually on the Day of Atonement. Now, that's not the only time that Jews fasted, and righteous men who were humble fasted more than just one day on the Day of Atonement, one, one, once a year, that is, on the Day of Atonement. But this man was boasting, I fast twice a week. Two times a week I fast, and that means I'm better than this man. And so what he was doing, he was adding to the law. He was creating his own righteousness. Where the law said, to be righteous according to the law, you fast on the Day of Atonement. He said, I go beyond that, well beyond that. He also said, I give tithes of all that I possess, which went even beyond what the law required. So he was essentially defining what what righteousness was within himself, beyond what even God said righteousness was, that self-righteousness. In James, the fourth chapter, in verse 11, there's another example of self-righteousness when James says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge one another? So here's this another comparison with another Christian by judging them based on what the law had not said. And so you actually judge the law. You you suggest the law is insufficient because you are making judgments beyond what the law has said. That's not righteous judgment. You actually place yourself in the seat of the lawgiver and judge. When we judge others based on liberties, maybe I'm a better Christian than this person over here because I homeschool my kids instead of public school them, or I I send them to public school instead of homeschooling them, or I'm a better Christian because I wear a mask during the pandemic and this person doesn't wear a mask, or I don't wear a mask and observe my liberties when this person thinks he has to wear a mask. And so little things like that, maybe, and maybe they're more significant matters, but You make yourself righteous based on something the law has not even said. You cannot be a better Christian by making up your own rules. In other words, self-righteousness doesn't make you a better Christian. You know, along those lines, though, some try to become a better Christian by pursuing the wisdom of men. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4, Paul said this of his own preaching, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Some seek to become a better Christian through human wisdom. Now, what that might that be in? Maybe they're, they're appealing to self-help books or some 
theological, quote unquote, material written by some theologian in the denominations. And so I'm pursuing their wisdom to be a better Christian. You know, someone has said before that all religion, even Christianity, all boils down to one thing, and they all have this alike, being a better person, being better to others, being more loving to others. Well, that's not really the case. Christianity is separated from all of the religions because it follows the one God, the Messiah, the Son of God who came in the flesh. Being a better Christian is not just about being a better person. Being a better Christian is about following Christ's Word. And you cannot be a better Christian by following the words of men. This is what the Apostle Paul also warned about in Colossians chapter 2. In verse 2, he said that the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of the mystery of God, um, both of the Father and the Christ, in that are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You cannot find the wisdom of God in the wisdom of men. So he says in verse 4, this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. In verse 8, he says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Too many pursue those kind of self-help books or some spiritual topical book written by a member of a denomination and pursuing some false thoughts of a text. In Colossians 2 and verse 23, this is what all of that boils down to. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You cannot possibly become a better Christian by reading self-help books, by pursuing those kinds of worldly wisdom. You can only become a better Christian with Christ. Some try to become a better Christian through emotionalism. In Proverbs 28 and verse 26, wisdom tells us, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. What's an example of this? Well, I think that there's a problem, especially among younger Christians, of conflating emotion with edification. Now, edification may produce emotion, but emotion is not edification. Edification means being built up. And the Bible makes very clear the way we're built up, edified spiritually as a Christian is through the Word of God. It's through studying God's Word, knowing how we are to be a better Christian and measure up to the stature of the fullness of Christ, Ephesians 4 talks about. And when we do that, certainly emotion will be provoked. But that emotion is a mere byproduct. And it's not bad, it's a blessing from God. But the problem is when Christians think that because they're on this, so to speak, emotional high, that they are a better Christian for it. And so what that leads into is pursuit of activities or relationships or situations where emotions run high like get-togethers or or parties or hanging out with friends. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but the pursuit of those things in order to be a better Christian is wrong. So one example of this is when a young Christian goes off to college and they're, they're trying to find a place to worship. They're trying to find a place where they be, can become a better Christian while they're away at college. 
and they choose a congregation just because there's so many young Christians there. And they choose not to go to a congregation because there's not as many Christians there. They are pursuing, if that's their reason, they are pursuing being a better Christian simply through emotionalism. I can have fun with these people, they'll make me feel good, and that'll make me a better Christian. Sometimes this happens where a Christian chooses a congregation because there's many there, there are more young people here over this congregation who doesn't have as many young people, when in reality, the congregation that has the young people are unsound. They're having false teachers in their pulpit. They're, they're, they're leaving out scripture. They're not preaching the whole counsel of God. And this other congregation that doesn't have as many young people perhaps is the sound congregation. They're pursuing becoming a better Christian through emotionalism. That's just one example of, of many maybe we can have. You can't be a better Christian by pursuing emotionalism. Maybe someone is pursuing being a better Christian simply by following their conscience. We need to follow our conscience. We need to make sure we're, we're only doing what we think in our heart is right. But in Acts 23.1, Paul said, as he looked earnestly at the council, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And that included his persecution of Christians. He's saying, I never go against my conscience. And that's a noble thought. We never should go against our conscience because as Romans 14 says, whatever is not of faith is sin. That is using that term of faith in regard to the conscience. If we do something without the understanding in our conscience that it's right, and we go against what we think is right, we sin. But our conscience must be learned. It's not right in and of itself. So you can't be a better Christian simply by following your conscience. You've got to teach your conscience so that it is right. Some try to be a better Christian by simply pursuing zeal, by being zealous. Zeal is necessary to be a better Christian, but not zeal by itself. In Romans 10 and verse 2, dealing with his countrymen, Paul said, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I heard it described as this way one time. I believe I actually heard it in a sermon by Brother Donnie Rader, who's doing another series on What the Bible Says podcast. He described zeal, but not according to knowledge, as having fire without a fireplace. And so it's uncontrolled. It's, it's not necessarily inherently a bad thing to be zealous, but it has to be controlled. It has to be confined. It has to be directed correctly. And so putting all your energy into something without understanding what God actually wants is not going to make you a better Christian. And then some do the opposite of that, that they, they take the proper actions without any zeal. And that might be described as a fireplace without a fire. What is it doing? What is it accomplishing? There was an example of this in Revelation 2 with the church of Ephesus, who, who is described as, as testing those who say they're apostles and are not, and found them liars of persevering and having patience and laboring for Christ's name's sake and not becoming weary. And then in verse 4 of Revelation 2, Christ says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. They were doing the right things, but they had no heart in it. They had no zeal. They were not on fire for the Lord. And so you can't be a better Christian simply by doing the right things. You must do them in the right spirit as well. As John 4.24 says, God is spirit, those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You're trying to be a better Christian without Christ if you are simply doing things by rote and not 
through zeal as well. Some, lastly, try to become a better Christian without Christ by using their study of Scripture simply as an intellectual process without doing what it says, so knowledge without practice. James says a lot about that in James chapter 1 and verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Christians are not intellectuals. Christians are followers of Christ. Christians don't just know what Christ teaches. Christians do what Christ teaches. You can't be a better Christian simply by being a Bible scholar. I think that there are even some uh, out there in the world who study the Bible a lot of times to disprove it, but there are some people who who like what the Bible says or like the value the Bible brings simply as a literary masterpiece, if you will. They don't believe the Bible is inspired. They don't believe in God. They just look into what the Bible has to say as if it's as if it's some other secular writing, that it it's not written by God, it's just simply written by man. And they study it and they they study it for its literary and cultural value, but but they don't they don't actually do what it says. And, and they may even know the Bible more than we do. Hopefully not. Hopefully we're studying as much as they are even more. But they're not a better Christian. They're not a Christian, period, just because they know what the Bible says. It's no different for us. In John 13, in our original context, after Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, if he just said, if you know these things, blessed are you, that could be true. But if he just left it at that in all this teaching, then maybe we could be a better Christian just by knowing things. But Jesus makes it clear that you cannot be a better Christian unless you do these things. So, we can't become a better Christian, firstly, without Christ. Without me, Christ says you can do nothing. And those are just a few examples, probably some things we'll even revisit, Lord willing, throughout these studies. But those are just a few things that manifest an attitude of seeking to become a better Christian without Christ. You can't do it. It's it's a it's a, a practice in in vain. You'll fail every time. So without Jesus, you can't become a better Christian, which means if we want to be a better Christian, how do we become a better Christian? Well, you become a better Christian with Christ. Namely, as we read in John chapter 15, you cannot bear fruit, that is, be a better Christian, unless we abide in Jesus, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you can bear much fruit to God's glory. So how do I become a better Christian? Allow Christ to live in you. That's what being a Christian is. You know, we got to realize what being a Christian is if we're going to be a better one. In Acts 11 and verse 26, we have the introduction of that title, Christian. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, it's worthy to note that that word called is a specific word used to refer to divinity 
naming or calling someone something. And so some would suggest that this was a derogatory title given by Gentiles to Christians, but it's not. This is the name that Christ has given us, Christian. Now, the disciples, it says, were first called Christians in Antioch. Disciples is a Greek word, mathetes, and it means a learner or a pupil. Now, who we're learning from, who we're a pupil of, is Christ. But disciple was not used just in reference to one who learned from someone, one who who sat at the feet of a teacher. Art and Gingrich elaborates on the word mathetes. He says, it is one who is rather constantly associated with someone who has a pedagogical reputation or a particular set of views, disciple, adherent. And so a disciple is not just simply one who learns from a teacher, but who imitates a teacher, one who is intimately and constantly associated with that teacher. So those disciples were called Christians. So they were disciples of Christ. The word Christians is Cristiano, and Arndt Gingrich defines it as one who is associated with Christ. Pretty simple. The suffix en means one from, belonging to, relating to, or like. So we are one from Christ. We are belonging to Christ. We are relating to Christ. We are like Christ. How do we become a better Christian? We learn from Christ and become like Christ by imitating Christ. We become a better Christian by being better associated with Christ, being a better disciple of Christ, by being a better learner of his teaching and an imitator of his teaching, an imitator of his life. You know, Paul was an incredible Christian. Paul is an incredible man we read about, a hero of faith. And he said in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We become a better Christian by following his word, by following Christ, knowing it and living it. As Paul said in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we crucify ourselves. We don't live for ourselves any longer. And along with that, we crucify the world to ourselves, as Paul said in Galatians 6 and verse 14. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The world has been crucified to him. In other words, he put the world to an open shame before his eyes. He, he doesn't want anything to do with the world, where once he might have pursued the things of the world and loved the things of the world, now they are shameful to him, and he wants nothing to do with them. He has put them to death. The world has been crucified to him. And he was crucified with Christ, and it is no longer he who lives— I want to be a better Christian. How do I do that? Well, the idea of being a Christian is Christ being seen in us. We imitate him. We are like Christ. So Christ lives in me. But notice how he says that happens. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, going back to our text of John chapter 15, he speaks about how we are a better Christian by bearing fruit. You cannot bear fruit unless we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us. 
and he says that we're pruned to bear more fruit. The apostles were already clean because of the word which he has spoken to them. And so that pruning process is through the word. He abides in us by his word abiding in us. We abide in him by us abiding in his word. And so Christ lives in us by faith. Well, faith, according to Romans 10, verse 17, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do I become a better Christian? Live by faith. How do I live by faith? Study God's word and do God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We cannot become a better Christian without Christ. Without him, we can do nothing according to God's word to bear fruit. We fully depend on Christ to do his will, that is, to become a better Christian. Chapter 14 of John in verse 23 Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Being a better Christian means Christ is seen in us more and more on a deeper level, on a more consistent basis, on a more complete basis where we are growing in maturity in Christ and we have all the pieces of the pie applied to our lives. We are doing everything Christ told us to do. We are well-rounded as a Christian. We are living more and more like Christ lived each and every day. We do that by abiding in His Word and His words abiding in us. If we try to do it in any other way, we are vainly attempting to become a better Christian without Christ. Well, obviously, this is one of several episodes on how to become a better Christian. We're going to touch on perhaps some more of the same things, just in greater detail and from different angles throughout this study. And so I hope that you'll continue to tune in because it is a noble ambition to want to become a better Christian. And God's Word tells us all that we need to know to become a better Christian And I hope that I can be of service in this way in studying this topic to help you become a better Christian as well. I thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions about what was said in this episode or any topics you would like us to cover in the future, please visit our website at whatthebiblesays.co where you can submit your questions or suggestions. There is also a place on our website if you're interested in scheduling a more personal Bible study with one of the Christians in this group. Lord willing, see you next episode.